This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Good morning, church. If you would, take your Bibles. Uh, If you don't have one, grab one out of the pew in front of you and turn to Luke chapter 1. It's where our text will be this morning, Luke chapter 1. And we will be reading from verses 46 to 55. So Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55, and this is Mary's Magnificat. The Word of God says this, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Good morning, First Prize. It's a blessing to be with you if you do have your copy of God's Word open, if you just leave it there. Um, Let's take a moment to ask the Lord to bless the the preaching of his word. Father, we come before you, and Lord, we recognize our own need of you. Um, The very air we breathe, but the the help in every other facet of life as well. Lord, we're mindful of how frail and weak we are. We know, Lord, there are many who are battling sickness, Lord, and we just pray for their restoration and, and healing. And we know that, Lord, you are powerful and capable to do even way more than we could even possibly understand. And so, Lord, we pray that as we come humbly before your throne of grace, that we would recognize, Lord, that you are great and we are not. That we are sinners in need of salvation. We are those who need uh, the very gifts that you and you alone can give. God, help us to come hungry to your word. Help us to see that what you have provided, Lord, is necessary for our own uh, well-being, both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. God, we pray that uh, this morning you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. God, help us to be uh, recipients with a grateful heart of the kindness and the the blessedness to which you have bestowed upon us. God, I pray for those who are struggling, and I pray for those who are wrestling with deep struggles, that, God, you would use this time to strengthen all of us, and especially those who are struggling and hurting now. God, we pray each and every week that as we leave this place, we would be changed, and we pray that this morning. We pray that by the power of your word through your spirit that 
we would be transformed and renewed more and more into the image of your beloved Son, our Savior. Therefore, God, I pray for the protection of what I say, that I would not say more nor less than you've given me to say, but God, that I would be faithful to your word in its entirety. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. This morning I want to be a little vulnerable. There's that scary word, vulnerable. I want to share with you a little bit about myself, a a side of me that maybe many of you are unaware of. But there's a little secret that I have, and that secret is this. Sometimes I sit in my car and I just sing. Now you may think that's silly, but let let me explain. I'll just sit in my car and my wife may be next to me and we may be listening to the radio and words will come on and I'm just kind of going with my own thoughts, my own words. In fact, I think what I'm singing is better. She would greatly disagree, uh, as she often does. But it's not just those times when the radio is on. I will burst out in song even in the silence and the solitude of my own vehicle. And I find myself to do it Awesome, awesome, not awesome, but often. (laughs) Is that a Freudian slip that's kind of slipped in there? But I find myself doing that often. And the question is why? I believe because the song which is in my heart is really an outflow of what God is doing. See, those spontaneous times of joy are especially a blessing when my heart has been in a season of struggle. Maybe the struggle comes in life, or maybe it's specifically regarding ministry for me. But I notice that when I begin to be weighted down, God in His grace will often meet me there. And as He meets me, I can't help but to sing and shout with joy. The outpouring of joy that flows from me is a praise and response to God's grace. Friends, as you open your Bibles and we look at Luke 1, verses 46 to 55, that's exactly what's taking place for Mary. She's responding in joy. She's responding to who the Lord is. She's responding to what He has already done. And she is responding to what He will yet do. Mary's response is a response to the good news. Now, just a couple of weeks ago, we took some time to actually look at when Mary was confronted. Yes, I'm going to use that word confronted because Mary wasn't out looking for it. It, it when I say it, I mean I'm talking about the opportunity for the collision that was about to take place. The angel of the Lord confronted her. This angel's name were given was Gabriel. And Gabriel confronted a young, espoused girl, believed by many to be probably about between the ages of 13 and 16. This girl was confronted by this angel from the Lord who told her that she would soon be with child. This angel confronted her, telling her, that it would be by the power of the Holy Spirit who comes and overshadows her. How did she respond? Well, we looked at that text, we looked at verse 29, and we saw that she was greatly troubled. Greatly troubled. 
fearful, overwhelmed, scared. She was told by this angel Gabriel, do not be afraid. He went on to explain why as he said, you found favor with God. Those words are powerful. And those words are important. As she is there described as one whom God's pleasure rests. Who was she? In her own community, no one probably thought much of her. After all, she was a young girl. She was probably coming from a farm or, or a, a small uh, uh, house where there was not much resources. That's probably why she was betrothed to be married so early and so young, which was the custom. It was the idea of entrusting your children and, and in a sense, trying to make sure that you could provide for your own. And so there would be this exchange. But she was told she found favor with God, that God's pleasure rested on her. Friends, I'm going to be bold for a moment, but this may have been the first time in Mary's life she had ever heard that. This may have been the very first time she was ever confronted with the thought that God's pleasure was upon her. We're told Mary's next question arises as she's told these things. As she responds in verse 34, how shall these things be since I'm a virgin? She acknowledges that she has been obedient and, and doing all that she's supposed to be to being faithful for her husband. And this is when Gabriel explains in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, a child will be born to you and he will be called holy. What she's being told is overwhelming. And yet in verse 38, we see Mary's response. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. She's willing, she's ready, she's able. In that moment, she, she's ready to tackle that mountain. Bring it on. But what about afterwards? You ever thought about that? 15 minutes later, an hour later, after the angel has disappeared, after the confrontation is done, maybe a day later, a week later, maybe a few weeks later, how is she processing? Was it just simply that it was said and she was done and she was ready to go, or is she more like us? Having second and third thoughts, wondering could this really be true? Is this really possible? How will this work out? What will it do to Joseph? What will it do to my family? What will happen to me? I don't know about you, but things in my house are never finished with one conversation. I live with teenagers. My conversations go again and again and again and again. And this is a young teenager who has to have a lot of thoughts and feelings and emotions all tied up in the information she was just given. And here she is, I believe, really wrestling still. Determining what it is that would really take place. 
can't really know Mary's mind or emotions fully. But one of the things we often do is we forget that these Bible characters are real people. That they have real struggles and hurts and hopes. That they have real emotions. And for whatever reason, we're not told all of the thoughts that she was thinking in the days and the weeks after that encounter. But one thing we are told is that she goes to meet a relative. The relative's name is Elizabeth. And as she is sent off to Elizabeth, she is confronted yet again with God's truth. Back in verse 36, she was told something. Let's look at verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who has been called barren. What point does that make for us other than the fact that when Mary arrives at Elizabeth, she sees the evidence of a baby in the womb of a previously barren old woman. The angel Gabriel said one other thing of great importance to Mary, using Elizabeth as an example. You see it in verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. So now when Mary shows up at Elizabeth's house and sees the baby in the womb, the words of Gabriel come to reassure her that God truly is almighty that God can truly do things that no one else can. Here is the evidence as this old barren woman is now pregnant with child. This confirms for Mary God's might. But this event also confirms God's truth. For it was just as God said. And yet as Mary begins to tell Elizabeth, of her own state, and what the angel Gabriel has said to her, we're told that the baby who is John the Baptist, the last prophet of the Old Testament, hearing the news of the Savior in Mary's womb, leaps for joy. Friends, just for a moment, bask in the situation. For Mary, this is yet another confirmation of God's faithfulness. The doubts, the worries, the anticipation. What would Joseph say? What would her parents say? The loneliness this young girl must have felt after the confrontation with the angel. We now see her resting in the hand of her sovereign God the one who finds pleasure in her. Mary's response is that she is going to sing. And Mary's response is much like me sitting in the car, just busting out in song. But there's a big difference between Mary and me, because when I do it, I'm not divinely Holy Spirit inspired. (laughs) And she is. The words that are given in our text 
come from the Holy Spirit who wants to encourage the church through what Mary is singing. Spontaneously, she begins to articulate a song of God's praise and his assurance and his power. And this song is for us. To be encouragement to those of us sitting in this room, facing those same moments of anticipation, those same struggles with fear and doubt and worry. This is an opportunity for us to engage in the hymn of Mary, which the church later names the Magnificat. Well, where do they get that name? Well, it actually comes from verse 46 where she says, my soul magnifies. Magnificat is a Latin word literally meaning to magnify, to make much of. And she wants to make much of the Lord. She actually goes on to say, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This is the response of a woman, a young woman, who is overwhelmed with God's favor. She wants to sing. She wants to shout. Listen to J.B. Phillips as he translates verses 46 and 47. In verse 46, he translates it this way. He says, Mary's words, My heart is overflowing with praise. That's what it is. It's in the, in the Magnificat, in the, in, the, in the making much. He's over, she's overflowing with praise. This comes from the flow of the joyful heart. J.B. Phillips continues as he translates it, My soul is full of joy in God my Savior. Here's translation here. For he has designed to notice me. I love that. He's created me for the purpose of noticing me. And I said a few minutes ago, this may have been the first time that Mary ever heard that God's pleasure was upon her. Now, there may be some in this room, this is the first time you've ever thought about the fact that God takes joy in you. He created you for his own glory, his own purposes. He takes notice of you. He's aware of you. And so Mary's song focuses on the grace of God to a humble servant. She busts out in song. She busts out in praise as she celebrates the one who recognizes her. Friends, let's be honest. How often do we complain when things don't go our way? How often are we discouraged to the point of just giving up when things don't seem to be working out? Yet the problem is we rob ourselves of the joy of truly being saved by the grace of God. The joy of actually trusting in a God who's sovereignly at work. We know the verse. Paul writes in Romans 8, verse 28, for all we know that all for, for we know that for those who love God, all things will work together for good. All things, not some things, not most things. And yet the verse continues for those who are called according to his purpose. The question is, do we believe it? 
when we complain, when we worry, when we fear, we're not trusting in the sovereign hand of God. We're robbing ourselves of the joy that has been offered. To know that God is there holding us up because he's taken notice of us as we rest in his hand. See, in all of this, Mary is admitting her own need. Look at verse 48. She says, He has looked on my humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Don't miss this. Some groups go too far, and they want to make too much of Mary, and they want to worship Mary. And we say, that's going too far. Yet other groups, like ourselves, oftentimes we neglect the fact that God's pleasure rested on Mary. Mary seemed to have a good balance. She seemed to understand that she was blessed. She was favored of the Lord. And yet she understood she was nothing. Do we have that balance? How often do we go to one ditch or the other? We believe that every mountaintop is ours and nothing can stop us because we are the favorite of the Lord. And we attack the wrong things and we act the wrong way, believing it's something about us. Or how often do we find ourselves in the valleys and in the shadows and the darkness, mourning and complaining as though no one loves us, all the while forgetting God's presence is upon us? See, Mary seems to understand her humble state but God's blessing upon her. And so she is now trusting in God's character to do just as he promised. And she sings and magnifies him because that's where the glory is due. Look at the words to her song. Mary's song consists of praise for who God is. Mary's song consists of praise for what he has done. Mary's song consists of praise for what he will do. Mary is encouraging all of us to magnify the Lord with her. Just look at some of the key words she uses. In verse 48, she says, He has looked. This is a big deal for her. He's taken notice of me. He sees me. He knows my plight. He knows my situation. He knows me inwardly and outwardly because he created me. He designed me for this. Mary acknowledges her humble state that any blessing that comes is not because of her. For she goes on in verse 47 explaining that she needs and she recognizes God as my Savior. Not the world savior simply, but she understands the personal relationship that's required for her. And yet she celebrates. He looks at me. He sees me in my humble state. He knows of my dependence and need, and he blesses me. Our Lord and Savior, when he was on the face of this earth, said this in Matthew 6, beginning at verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Hear his question. Are you not of more value than they? Friends, one of the things I love to do is go to Elizabeth Park. I'll park my car, I'll sit, I'll watch, I'll pray. But one of the things I love to look at is the squirrels and the birds. The squirrels are the goofiest things that ever God created. They wrestle, they jump out in front of traffic, they're willing to play chicken with you. They're just amazing. And God cares for them. And he cares for the birds of the air. And their Lord and Savior asks the question, how much more valuable are you to him than they? That's one of the questions each and one of us has to wrestle with. Do we know our value in the Lord? I'm reminded of what our Lord said later in John 10. In his, in his discussion with his disciples, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Friends, that's a picture of the length to which our God goes, that he took on human flesh, he walked amongst us, he lived so he could die for you, his church, his sheep. He's taken notice of you to the point that he has desired to redeem you. Mary understood this and she celebrated it. In verse 49, she celebrates his mighty and holy acts. She recognizes that the one who is holy and perfect is God, and he is omnipotent. She recognizes his strength and his protection on her behalf. The question is, do we recognize his holiness, his perfection, and his omnipotence on our behalf? He will always do what is right, perfectly right, not just what's right in our eyes, but right in his eyes for us. And do we understand that he will always do what is right, but he will also always use his strength to provide? Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 121 who writes, From where does my help come? The psalmist cries out. Recognizing his plight, where does my help come from? The psalmist answers his own question, My help comes from the Lord. And then he qualifies it. Who made the heavens and the earth? Who can do that? Only God. And that God, that Holy One, has taken pleasure in Mary and she recognizes it. Church, do we recognize the pleasure God finds in his church, in his sheep, in his people? Mary continues in verse 50 when she begins to focus on his mercy. She says in verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. She understands that all of this is not because she's earned it, but because God is merciful. He doesn't give us what we do deserve. He's merciful. And God is merciful to each and every one of us in multitudes of ways. Every day do we ever stop and sing his praise. Do we ever give him the, the glory that is due his name for the mercy he has shown to us? 
The prophet Jeremiah writes about this in a book that's called Lamentations, a book that's called Weeping. Think about that. Who wants to read a book about weeping? Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, writes in the book of weeping these words, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to end. Praise God. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Do we recognize God's mercies? Day by day, moment by moment, Mary's calling us to celebrate, to sing with her the praise of God who is merciful. And then she turns and she begins to talk about the sovereignty of God and the sense of his rule in such a way that's not just about her. As she already kind of said at the end of verse 50, from generation to generation, she focuses on his rule over all. Look at verses 51 and 52. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. But look at the end of verse 52. And he exalts those of humble estate. What mercy. It's merciful to not allow the proud to be arrogant. Do you understand that? It's merciful for God to humble us. It's merciful for God to put things in our way that force us to look up so that we can't depend on ourselves because if he did do that and just allowed us to do that, we would never know of our need of a Savior. But in his mercy, he shows us our need. And this humble little servant girl recognizes it. And she recognizes that it's the humble that he exalts. What grace. Not only does he not give us what we don't deserve, or we do deserve, he gives us what we don't deserve. That's the difference between mercy and grace. I want to draw your attention to a story in the Bible that goes back to the book of Genesis. There was a man who was hated by his brothers. His name was Joseph. As Joseph was confronted by the hatred of his brothers, he was eventually sold as a slave. Eventually, he finds himself there in Egypt actually being used by God to help save the people. And this is what Joseph says when he confronts his brothers in Genesis 50, verse 20. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to save many lives. <laughs> See, what really is being said there is you know who's really in charge? Not the king of Egypt, not even we ourselves, but God. And God is using all things for his glory in our good church. The question is, do we believe it? Are we trusting it? Our own Lord and Savior actually acknowledges this in Luke 22 when he says, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. How often do we pray that prayer? How often are we ready to say, Lord, not my way, your way. I trust you. I sing your praises because I need to rely on you. In verse 53, Mary uses this word hungry. And she's not just talking about physical hunger, but also spiritual hunger. In verse 53, she says, he has filled the hungry with good things. 
with all things that are necessary and good. Mary turns the attention to how God cares for the little minute details of your life. The shoes you have on your feet. The coat you have in winter. The friendships you have that encourage you along the way. God is the one who's producing and ministering and caring for his sheep in all of those things. But isn't that exactly what David, the shepherd boy, understood? When David wrote that great 23rd Psalm, and he says, I shall not want. Why could David say that? Because he understood everything is already given to me in God. I lack nothing. Church, I ask you this morning, do you believe that? Do you believe truly that you lack nothing? Do you truly trust in the sovereign hand of God and his compassionate care for you? Are you able to sing his praise in the face of trial and affliction and unknown situations? That's what this hymn of Mary is doing. It's calling us to celebrate God. We look at verse 54, and she says very clearly, he has helped his servant Israel. Notice that she no longer is simply talking about herself, but she's talking about the people of God, which includes her. And it includes all of us who truly have faith and rest in God's provision of Christ alone. Do we understand that God truly is the one who helps? The prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah 40, verse 29, he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Do you believe it, church? Or how about Isaiah 41, verse 10? Fear not, he says, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my right hand. Do we believe that, church? And finally, here's why Mary can say all these things. For he spoke. He spoke to his fathers, and she gives an example like to Abraham. But notice how she ends it, and to his offspring forever. He continues to speak. See, we know that God speaks through his creation, the, the birds and the squirrels. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims his handiwork. We also know that God speaks through his word. In that same Psalm, verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect. And what does it do? It revives the soul. It changes us. We believe that, but yet it still goes further when the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by Son, who he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's saying Jesus is God, and it's through Jesus that we Hear God's voice. Friends, that's exactly what the, the hymn we sang together reflects. 
It tells us about the gospel. It reminds us of the role of the Son as it magnifies him and lifts him up, and we lift him up with our voices. It reminds us of the mercy that has been given in the birth of God's own Son. It reminds us that God's might has done these things. And then it lists them. He's taken on flesh. He's conquered death's sting. He's shattered darkness and lifted shame. This is the work of our Savior. This is what Jesus has done for the church. And then it says, and now we have been given freedom, which our Savior has won. Friends, that freedom is a freedom to be joyful even in the midst of the unknown. It's a freedom to celebrate God even in the midst of struggle and pain because we know who is really in charge. The question for each and every one of us this day is, will we magnify him? Will we celebrate him even in the face of our unknown? Let's pray. Father, as we close our Bibles, as we walk away from this text, help us to be caught up in spontaneous singing of your praise. O Holy Spirit, come and soften our hearts. Renew our minds. Strengthen our faith. Help us to remember who you are in the face of our difficulties. Lord, bless us. Strengthen us and encourage us as we leave this place. May we sing for you and you alone, for you and you alone are worthy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.